Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Lake of the Ozarks message podcast. Our prayer and desire as you listen to today's message is that it would be an encouragement and challenge in your walk and relationship with Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at ccloto.org or download our app in your app store today. Now, let's jump into today's message together. So we are continuing in our study. We are in chapter 3, and we're going to close out this chapter starting in verse 11. John is writing, he says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning. He's kind of already said that once before, but he wants to restate this. Like, don't miss this. This is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was, e- who was of the evil one and murdered his brother, And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And by this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And by this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. And whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So I titled the message this morning, Love Defined. You know, that's one of the issues I think that is happening in our world is the world wants to define what love is. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but I don't think the world has it right. And we have to understand that when we get to this passage of Scripture, one of the things that I love about the Calvary Chapel movement, uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, is it keeps it in context. That we can't just read these few verses and be like, oh yeah, we need to love one another. Absolutely. And just walk away from that. It builds on everything that we've talked about, right? All the other teeth that we've knocked out of Jeron, this it, we're building on that. And so because we are walking in the light, chapter 1, because the blood of Jesus cleanses us, because Christ is our advocate, chapter 2, because we're not of this world, because we are children of God, we should love one another. Like there's a defining aspect of what his love means. And for us to have the love of Christ for the world around us, It has to be defined, but we let God define it. We don't let our emotions, our feelings define what love is. And I think that's where the world has it wrong a lot of times is we allow our heart to lead and guide, and we allow our heart to say what love is. 
And so we are allowing God to define what love is. And so we have to understand, if we're not walking in light, the blood of Jesus doesn't cleanse us. If Christ isn't our advocate, if we're still living in this world, if we're not children of God, which we know that means we're the child of the evil one, we're going to have a messed up definition of what love is. We're not going to understand the fullest of what love is. Most likely, it's going to be lust and desire and coveting that's gonna mask itself in love. It's gonna actually be sin masking itself in a, in a positive virtue, because again, isn't that what a counterfeit is? To come very close to the same but have no value of it? And so this world's gonna have a counterfeit understanding of love. But when we look at scripture, and what we'll see is even as we look at Jesus, he defines what love is. The question is, will we realign our lives to his definition or will we reject it? And so he goes clear back to the Old Testament, clear back to the very beginning and the first brotherly fight. Anybody got an older brother? Anybody have a little brother? All right, uh, I'm, I'm a little brother, so I'm gonna side with the little brothers here. Like the older brothers, they're evil. They're, hey, thank you, there we go. See, we're preaching righteousness here, right? So he goes clear back to the beginning. <laughs> oh, thank you, Tyler. So Cain and Abel. Cain being evil, Abel being righteous. And we kind of wonder, like, why was Cain considered so evil and Abel righteous? Well, Cain killed his brother. Like, there, there's a qualifying factor there. But when we go back to the Old Testament, go back to that Genesis chapter 4, and we're reading and understanding the story of Cain and Abel, they both were to bring sacrifices to the Lord. And Cain scrounges up some vegetables of the ground, gets some carrots, some celery, you know, all the things that we just love so much, you know. If you're vegetarian, which I'm one of those that like, I don't want to eat the food that my food eats, you know what I mean? And then Abel, sorry, now you just got it, there you go. <laughs> and then Abel, he brings an animal sacrifice. And if you go to Genesis 4, chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it says, And the Lord, Yahweh, had regard for Abel in his offering. So that was an acceptable sacrifice from Abel. But for Cain in his offering, he had no regard. So why did Yahweh, why did God say, Abel, that was good, I, had a, I have regard for that. But he looks at Cain and says, no, nope, you missed it, bro. It's not what I asked for. And it says that Cain was very angry and his face fell. Like he literally, the look on his face dropped because the Lord said, no, that wasn't good. I have two kids, I have four kids, but when two of them will come to me and they're presenting stuff, the one thing that I don't want to look at them and say, and be like, oh, like if they're both coloring pictures, and be like, oh, Emmy, you did such a great job. Dayton, yours looks funny. You know, like I wouldn't do that. His face would fall and be like, why don't you have regard for my offering of a colored picture for you? Like, why don't you like this? Because the Lord defined what the sacrifices were supposed to be. See, the Lord wanted an animal sacrifice, but Cain didn't have regard for the Lord, and he did what he thought was right. He defined what the sacrifice was going to be. He defined that. He didn't go off the Lord's definition. And so since he had no regard for the Lord and his commands and what he was defining, why would the Lord have regard for him, where Abel said, all right, Lord, if that's what you want, if this is what you are requiring, whatever it cost me, 
I will do. Which, I don't know if you've noticed, the cost of food, meat, for some reason, has always cost a little bit more than lettuce. And it cost more from Abel. But he allowed God to define the sacrifices, and he was going to stay with God's definition of it. And it's almost as if John is putting us in the body of Christ in the position of Abel, and he's putting the world in the place of Cain. The question is, if we bring what is acceptable to Jesus, are we going to allow him to define what that is? Or are we going to say, Lord, this is our definition of love. This is how we want to worship you on our terms, and I hope that you like it. Or do we allow the Lord to say, this is what it means to worship to honor, to serve me, to obey me. And when we bring an acceptable sacrifice, when we bring that sacrifice of praise to Jesus, like understand what John's telling us. The world hates you for it. Why? The same reason that Cain hated his brother. The Lord has no regard for people that are trying to love, but using a different definition. Like not all love is equal at all. Because when you get down to the heart of it, it's either in obedience to Jesus or disobedience. Now, we can put on the mask of, oh, saying that it's love, but if we're not following and aligning our lives to what God has defined as love, we're going to find ourselves in a really sticky situation. But in the same, like understand, Abel did what was right and was killed for it. We will do what is right according to the Lord, and the world's going to hate us for it, and the world wants to kill us for it. Is that because we did something wrong? No. Because this world hates anything good and righteous. The world hates and attacks God. I mean, just even look at our, I was kind of, I got into a rabbit hole yesterday. It happens every once in a while. Go down a rabbit hole real deep into, look at the number of popular music artist or movie, seems like it's mainly in music right now, that are mocking Jesus. They either put themselves on a cross in a music video that they're being sacrificed for the world or they're dressing up as demons, as the devil. There's the, the number of like upside down crosses that are used in their stage displays. And these aren't like the weird, obscure, crazy ones that you never heard of. Like these are normal frontline, mainline artists that you would probably know and your kids probably listen to. And it's like, why is there such an attack on Jesus? Because that's what darkness does. Darkness doesn't go after other darkness. Darkness goes after light. Light and darkness are what... And, and again, what did we say? Because we are walking in the light, because the blood of Jesus cleanses us, because Christ is our advocate. We're not of this world. We're children of God. Of course, if we live our lives according to how Jesus has defined for us to live and what he expects from us and the sacrifice of our life, of course the world's going to hate us. The world is in darkness, and we are children of light. But we have to understand the heart of Jesus. You know, Matthew 9, 12 to 13, he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. See, when you look at Cain and Abel, like one brought animal, one brought vegetable, like what's that to the Lord? Did like, does he, you know, one of the Psalms, 
talks about, does the, he, the Lord is speaking. He says, do I eat the flesh of animals? Do I drink the blood of goats? So like, what's it to the Lord? Does he really need that goat or that bull? Does he need those two turtle doves? Like why? It really has nothing to do with the actual object of the sacrifice. It has to do with the hearts of the one that he called to give the sacrifice. Will you do what I asked you to do? It might cause you to suffer. It might be painful. It might be hard. It might be fairly difficult to let go of this. You know, there's a lot of value there for a, a shepherd or somebody that's tending flock to give of his flock unto the Lord. Like, that can be very difficult. But will you do what I ask? Will you surrender that? Will you hold on to it? Or do you approach me with open hands and say, Lord, it's you give Everything that I have is the Lord's. Am I not willing to give unto the Lord what he has asked of me? And so Jesus is even saying, like, I don't care. God's never cared about the animal. It is the heart of mercy behind it. And what we have to understand, we've been talking about counterfeits, right? And how the world and the enemy wants to counterfeit our faith and come very close to the same, but there's no value in it. You know what the problem is, is we're very prone to do the exact same thing that we are gonna approach the Lord with a counterfeit sacrifice. And there is no acceptable counterfeit for obedience. There's nothing else that we can do and mimic obedience and the Lord says, yeah, close enough, close enough to the right thing. It's a C plus average, we'll allow it, right? And we know C's get degrees, right? The last guy in medical school, they got the lowest grade, you know what they call him? Doctor, yeah. Yeah, we'll call you a Christian then, you know. A couple more points and probably wouldn't. We'd kick you out and let you go to hell. No. But we, honestly, if we're going to look at our hearts, do we not do that? And we try to even counterfeit our own obedience, but we have to understand there's no acceptable counterfeit for obedience. And we have to look at what are those counterfeits that we bring to Jesus? You know, he, he mentions this in Matthew 7. So if you want to turn there real quick. I think some of the most scariest uh, verses in all of Scripture. He's just finishing up the Sermon on the Mount, so you have to take into account of everything that he just said. And in verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Just let that sit in your heart. That, doesn't that give you the warm and fuzzies this morning? But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So it actually doesn't have anything to do with what's coming out of our mouth. But whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. They weren't doing these horrible sin acts of just depravity and abominations. They're, they're doing good ministry things, but with the wrong heart. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, any act that we do for the Lord, if we do it with the wrong hearts, that's lawlessness. Because if our heart's not in it, that's 
If we're not allowing him to define it in our heart of sacrifice and of mercy to say, okay, Lord, that's what you are requiring and that's what I'm going to do. He doesn't, like the, the animal or the vegetable, that's not what it's about. It's the heart that is giving that. And so we allow the Lord to define what does it mean to love one another? What does it mean to worship and to serve Jesus? And will he find us doing that? That's how we, we know that he knows us and we know him, is because it flows out of a relationship with Jesus. And so he, going back to 1 John verse 14 and 15, he shows us that obedience brings life. And love that when we walk in obedience with Jesus, this is what's going to bring us life. Obedience to Jesus is what's going to be able to bring love for one another to the fullest of what he wants to see in our lives. And in the same breath, the opposite side of that, indifference, apathy, or unconcern, that brings hate and death. Just give it time and every time. Just a little bit of indifference towards one another. It'll grow. It might take a little bit. It'll grow, it'll build to the point that I just really hate that person. And we have this hate that we know brings death. And we have to understand that all sin leads to death. Satan doesn't care which one we choose. He just wants to bring death and destruction. His heart, steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't care which one you choose. And so for us, Jesus is calling and says, obedience Brings life and love. There's a, a Cliff-ism that I like. So Pastor Cliff, who served here for 17 years before me, uh, this is something I guess he used to say a lot. I've heard him say it a few times, so it's still kind of new to me. I like it. But if the root of our lives is obedience to Jesus, you know, the root, that's what we're rooted in, then the fruit of our lives will be seen in love for our brother and our sister. So he, he's using that as an analogy of like a tree, and that's our life. That's us. If our roots are deep into Christ, and a tree is known by their fruit, and the health of a tree is not in its fruit, the health of a tree is in its root. And so if we are rooted in Christ, I think Colossians tells us to be, then the fruit of our lives will be seen as love for our brothers. That there's no way that our roots can be in Christ, in obedience to him, and we bear bad fruit. No, a good tree is going to bear good fruit. So if there is bad fruit in our life, we don't address the fruit issue. What do we address? The roots. Well, the same is for our life. And so when we're looking at our lives, if we're seeing a, a fruit issue, we need to address the roots because if, if our root of our lives is in Christ and obedience to him, the fruit will be seen in love for our brothers and our sisters. And in verse 16, he defines what love is. So we're saying love your brothers, love one another. And again, we're going to allow Jesus to define this. And John says, by this we know love that he laid down, that Jesus laid down his life for you and me. That Jesus laid down his life for us. He goes, let me show you what love really, really looks like. Not what you think you see, not the rom-coms and the movies and the TV shows, not the, no, no. Let me show you what love truly is. And he lays down his life for us. And so Jesus not only defines what love is, he's the example of what love is. In love, sacrifices, period. 
If you want the true biblical definition of what love is, love sacrifices. And I had a great example of biblical love in my life, and it was my grandparents, Grandma and Grandpa Pierce, right? My grandma, I don't think, ever pumped gas until my grandpa passed away. She was like 80-something, and we had to teach her how to pump gas at the gas station. Why? Because that's how he served her. My grandpa never knew how to turn on a washer and a dryer. He could take it apart and put it back together and still have all the bolts. You know, like when we take something apart and there's like five screws left over, like, where do these go? And you just throw them out? No. He could take it apart and put it back together, but I never seen him turn it on. He never ironed one shirt in his life. I don't know if he could fold socks. But in the same breath, Grandma didn't know how to pump gas. Grandma I mean, they just served each other in sacrifice. One time, they got new carpet in their living room, and that was a big thing for them to spend money on carpet. And Grandpa said, there's a lot of things that we could have done, but if that's what Grandma wanted, that's what we're going to do. See, love isn't that ooey-gooey feeling. They were committed to each other. They sacrificed for each other. They served one another. I don't think Grandpa was ever even allowed into the kitchen. I don't think he ever microwaved anything. We were always worried if something happened to Grandma, like Grandpa would have to go. I mean, he would just die out because he wouldn't be able to survive. Like microwave dinners, he would still probably not understand how to, because they just, they outserved and they outsacrificed for each other. And, and when you read a verse like this, by this we know that we by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. I got a firsthand view of them just continuing laying down their lives for one another. Not because of who their spouse was, even though they were madly, deeply in love, but it was because of who Christ was and who Jesus was to them, that they continued just to lay down their life for one another and whatever that need was. And so what John is going on to tell us is when we see a brother or a sister in need, don't close your heart to that. Don't close your heart to a brother or a sister in need. Because when we close our heart to a brother, we stop God's love from abiding in us. That when we see that brother in need, the greatest need might be in our own hearts and what God wants to do in us as he's trying to do something through us. Sometimes the person in need and the person that can fulfill the need, the greatest need is actually in this person. And we, we saw that again firsthand taking students to Honduras. You know, we thought we were going to Honduras to bless these kids that lived and worked in the city dump, and now there, there, there's this school to get them out of the dump because it was just a horrible place to live. And so we thought we're going to go down there and we're going to save them. The greatest work God did was in our hearts as the one who is looking at our brother in need, not in their hearts. Because when we came back and we said, hey, how was the trip? Every student, their life wrecked. Why do they have so much joy? They have so much love for their life, so much, like, and, and, like, and think of all the anxiety and depression meds and stuff that we're on here. Like, I said, because they, like, they have so much joy, but they don't have much. And it's like, why would you assume that just because they have very little, their lives would be horrible? Because you have everything, and you hate your life right now. Do you think maybe that the two aren't connected, or if anything, they kind of work against each other? 
And so we have to see when we see a brother in need, don't close your heart because you're closing God's love in your own to allow it to abide. One of the things I say frequently is the gospel is not meant to stop at you, but to flow through you. That God saved you, amen, that's a wonderful thing. Like, I don't want to overshadow that. But that's, that's not the end of the story. That's the beginning. Like, we don't baptize somebody and say, ah, oh, finally, there you go, and on your way. No, we baptize and say, all right, now we're beginning. Now this is the start of it. That's why I like at my graduations from Bible college. They called it a commencement service because now we're just beginning. Beginning what? I just got done with four years of crazy books and papers and lectures and because now you're beginning ministry. This is the beginning of what God wants to do in your life. And so, yes, the gospel saved you, but that's just the start of it. If it wasn't, you've heard me joke, we'll just hold you under, right? If like that's all we cared about is just saving you and baptizing you and nothing else, we're truly not being the church. Ephesians 4 tells us that we need to equip the saints to do the work of ministry, not just make a bunch of little saints and just leave them be. No, the goal for us is to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, to be that God's love abiding in our hearts that's flowing through us, but we can't close our hearts. We talked last week that we're not called to be storage vessels. We're not a bunch of little flesh Tupperwares of God's love and His grace and His gospel where we just put it in the back of the fridge until it goes bad and you just throw it out. No, we're not called to be storage vessels. We're called to be useful vessels in the hands of the Master. There's a reason that he saved you, and there's a work that he wants to do in and through you. Some of the most anti-Christ things that we could do is share the gospel to empty stomachs. As a poor kid going to school hungry, it was really hard to listen to the teacher when your stomach is growling. And so we share the gospel to empty stomachs. We declare that we're covered by the blood of Jesus, but we declare it to naked bodies we proclaim deep theological truths to grieving hearts because you know that's what people really want to hear when they're going through a massive pain and grief in their life. Oh, you just need to pray more. You just need to read the Bible. And we say these little Christianese things and it falls flat because we're not allowing the love of Christ to use us, that we're going through the motions and the actions but we're truly not loving, as he says, indeed, in action and in truth. So verse 8, let us not love in word or talk. It's like John's version of put up, shut up, and put up. And he continues on, he's like, this is, this is, this is going to be a work in your own heart because your heart is going to condemn you at times. Like, you're going to feel it. When you close your heart off, you're going to feel a conviction from the Holy Spirit. A lot of times it's later on in the day, I'll have that feeling like, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have said that. I wish I, wish I would have stepped into that situation there, and I didn't. And what Paul would say, how he would define it, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, he tells us, do not quench the Spirit. And so when we see a brother in need and we close our heart to him, we're quenching the Holy Spirit that abides in us, that wants to work in and through us. But when we close our heart, our heart's going to condemn us. And again, what he's talking about is that indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we're prone to close our hearts, but we're going to feel that Spirit work to try to keep it open. 
You know, like there's, there's times that we will be driving and we're at an intersection and there's somebody with a cardboard sign and there's times we'll stop and we'll try to make an impact. There's times that we don't. And this is way of description, not prescription. There's no, none of this. And one of my kids asked one time, like, why do sometimes we do and sometimes we don't? We allow the spirit to lead. And I'm okay with that. And when the spirit's not leading, I don't feel my heart condemned. When the spirit is leading and I close my heart to the brother, that's when I feel my heart condemned. But that's what Paul or John is saying. He's like, if you don't feel that, then you have confidence before God. So when the spirit's moving and I respond and do what the don't understand why, but I'm going to do this. Okay. I have confidence. I don't feel convicted. I don't feel condemned. Why? Because I have confidence with God that I did what he asked me to do. Well, what's that person going to do with that? I don't know. That's really, that's, that wasn't anything that the Lord wanted to discuss with me. That was, I'm, I'm not uh, privy to that conversation. And we really struggle with that sometimes. So even just taking the context of uh, serving, you know, poor or homeless people, you know, oh, they're just going to take it and they're going to go buy drugs and alcohol. Pretty sure, right? But even rich people do that with their money. I don't want to enable them. How many of us are enabled in our sin by the stuff that we have? That's not up to you. What's up to you is will you obey what the Spirit wants? What the Holy Spirit is moving and guiding you to do? And so sometimes you'll, you'll hear the Spirit work in your heart, trying to keep your heart open. Don't close off to that. Allow Him to move and work. And I'm not talking about just the people that we pass on an intersection with a cardboard sign. There might be a coworker that you need to give a word of encouragement might be someone who say, hey, can I, can I pray for you right now? Or there might need to be a word that you need to give. Might even be sharing the gospel. That very scary thing to do. But don't close your heart to it. Because the Spirit is working to keep our heart open. And so when we're walking and living by the Spirit, God will provide all we need for all His work. You know, He's never going to give you an opportunity to work and then not give you the things for it, Right? Like, wouldn't that be the most just abandoning feeling that you would have? Like, Lord wants me to do this, but he won't provide anything for me to do it. Usually, for me, that's a sign. That's probably not what the Lord wants me to do, and I'm just in my flesh getting in the way. Something that we say here at Calvary, specifically when we talk about finances, but I would even uh, expand it to all of ministry. Where God guides, God's going to provide. And so when we come up with some crazy ideas of like, hey, you know what we could do? You know, if God's really leading in that, God's going to provide for that. And even as we're, we're growing and looking at different things, even at the campus development, it's like where God is going to guide us in that, he's going to provide. We just have to trust. We just have to open up our hands to him in everything of our lives and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. And if the Lord does not provide it, he's probably not guiding in that. I love Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's our shepherd. He's going to guide us. And in his guiding, he's going to provide everything that we need. And so if there's something in your life that you feel like the Lord hasn't provided, it's probably because the Lord's not guiding you for that. And you keep trying to, like a stubborn sheep, I don't know if you've ever studied sheep, they're stupid animals, you probably keep trying to wander away from the Lord leading and guiding. But where God guides, God provides. 
So understand the connection here between obedience to God's will and the provision for it. Walk in obedience with Jesus because the provision will follow. That's who he says that he is. And so continue just looking to Jesus, walk in obedience, let us love not in, in, in word or talk, but in deed and in truth, allow your heart to be open to the move of the Holy Spirit, have that confidence before God that you did what he asked you to do, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because he keeps his commandments and do what he pleases and what pleases him. Like understand, like God keeps his promises, and there's a few things that he has called from us. In verse 23, it says, and this is the commandment. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of, the, in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. And so uh, a little bit in our uh, American Western Christianity, we've taken that word believe, and we have really diluted it down. We've made it very tame. We've neutered it. We've pulled its teeth out. We've declawed it. So we have this lion of a salvation of what belief is, right? But we just cut off all its limbs. And so we have this like lame, mute, deaf, dumb lion. And be like, oh yeah, this is my salvation. You, you lost everything that made it fierce and awesome, right? So the word believe in the Greek is pestuo. And it means to commit to, to trust to put your faith in, to obey, to yield. So the old hymn, to trust and obey, that's, that's believe. That's what belief means, to believe and obey. And we wrongly think that there are two sides of the same coin, that trust and obey, and there are two sides. And we are making no logical sense when we're only trying to spend one side of the coin, right? Can you imagine like paying for something with some coins and be like, oh, I only want to use the head side of the quarter, don't, don't flip it over because I'm not about that like obey thing. I just want to believe. I just want to think that if I think that Jesus is God, that if I say that Jesus is God, that's all that needs, but I really don't want to obey that. So if you could like, you know, tails always fails, just, you know, heads. I only want to use the heads side of the quarter. And don't we just sound stupid? Like who would really do that? Or you're like holding out a 20 and just use the president side. Don't do the all-seeing eye weird thing on the back and all the Illuminati and all that. Don't, no, no, no. I only want to use the top side of the dollar bill. What? Like that doesn't make any logical sense. And the same for our faith. That we can't just say, oh, I put my faith in Jesus and not obey. They're the same things. The definition is the fullness there. So to believe is to obey, to yield to, to trust, to put your faith in. So to believe is to obey. They're the same side of the coin. If there was an other side of the coin, it's to love. So think of what Jesus said. What's the greatest commandment, teacher? He says, well, that's simple. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. That he puts it on the same bar. And so when you stand before the Lord one day, I have confidence. Lord, I loved you with all my heart, soul, and mind. And I tried to love my neighbor as I loved myself. That if I can do those two things to the fullness of who I am, my essence, my being, I have confidence to stand before the Creator. I have confidence that the Lord would look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And verse 24, by this, you know, if we keep His commandments, 
We abide in God, and God abides in us. And we know this, that he abides in us, and he gives us kind of this proof that the Spirit, the Spirit whom he has given us. So understand, the Holy Spirit living in us is proof of our faith. Ephesians 1 says, verse 13 and 14, in him, talking about the Holy Spirit, in him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him. There's that word believe again. And you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That I am waiting an inheritance that I know is mine, and I'm just waiting to possess it. And Jesus tells us, like, I'm going to go, and I got many rooms, and if it wasn't so, why would I tell you otherwise? I'm going to go and prepare a place for you that he is preparing a place for me and for you as believers right now. And the Holy Spirit is that guarantee of that inheritance that we are awaiting. And Jesus tells us in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life that whoever believes in me, though he die, that we're all going to physically die one day. If you didn't know that, sorry to burst your bubble. Yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So what the heck is, what are we talking about? Am I going to die or am I going to not die? Like what's going on here? What does it mean to be in Christ? Romans 8, 9, 11. However, you are not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit, right? There's that guarantee us. He's abiding in us. We know that he abides in us because of the spirit. We're not in the flesh, we're in the spirit. And in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. That's how we know that we belong to God and we're children of God because we have the spirit of God. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And we go clear back up to verse seven, like we talked about last week. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he, as Jesus, is righteous. And so the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, like understand the power there. We're talking about the resurrection. So if the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Like, understand the power that we have. It's not a thing or a force. We're not Star Wars fanatics. We have God dwelling in us as a guarantee of our faith to lead, to guide, to open, to keep open our hearts so that we can continue to be the love, the grace, the mercy of Jesus in this world. So when we close our heart to a brother, that's a theological issue. Because what we're saying is, Spirit, I don't want you to lead in God. I don't need you, Lord. I'll do this on my own. Let God define love. Lay down your life in response, because that's what love is. We know love because he laid down his life for us, and we lay our lives down for the brothers and the sisters. Continue to lay down your life almost like that resurrection, and allow the Spirit to continue to bring life to your body. Allow Him to raise you up. And so this week, I'm praying that there's multiple times that you have an opportunity to keep your heart open to a, bro to a brother or a sister in need. 
And I'm praying you have the strength, the boldness, and the courage to act and to respond, not to love and word or talk, not to say, oh, I'll pray for you, and we, no, no, no. We're, we're gonna be, we're gonna put our faith into action, in deed, and in, in truth. So Lord, we love you, we trust you. We thank you for this morning, we thank you for an opportunity to dig into your word, and I pray that, Lord, I pray that our hearts would condemn us and convict us when we try to close our heart to your leading, to your guiding, to what you want to see in and through us. Lord, bring heavy conviction to our hearts. But give us the faith, the boldness, the courage to respond in confession and repentance that we are at times attempting to quench the move of your Holy Spirit. Lord, work in us that we wouldn't be Christians with a whole lot to say, but we'd be followers of Jesus. That our lives of action and living in the truth, living in righteousness, that would declare that we are your children, knowing that it all comes from your abiding spirit in us. So Holy Spirit, we surrender our lives to you. And as you dwell in us. I ask that you would kindle afresh that gift that we have, that you would fill us afresh, that you would give us that power from on high to simply love as Jesus defined it. And we lay down our lives and, and allow you to work in and through us. Give us that kind of faith, Lord. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said,